All right, let's turn to Galatians 5. We are in passage 16 through 26. Uh, At every Redeemer Foundations class, uh, which is made up of those that are investigating Redeemer, those that are going forward in membership in Redeemer, we kind of look at who we are, what are the, you know, our basic theological identity, why we are, what our gospel vision is and mission is for this particular expression of God's church in this particular area. Uh, But one of the things we do at every single Redeemer class is we talk about fertilizing trees. Because we really like trees at Redeemer. You know, we get the whole green thing. Um, Here's the deal. How do you fertilize a tree? The way you fertilize a tree is you've got to have this, what's called a giant auger. It's a giant corkscrew kind of thing. And what you do is at the end of the tip of the, the tree's roots, you do the auger into the tip, creates a giant hole. You then take the fertilizer, directly pour it into the hole so that it's immediately uh, saturated and soaked uh, as you water it and taken up into the tree uh, so it nourishes and you fertilize the tree, right? That's how you do it. Now, how? The key, the key though, to this whole thing is being able to put the fertilizer at the, the tip of the roots. So the question is, how do you find the tip of the roots. And so the answer is you get under the tree and you look up and you get a gander of the kind of the wingspan of the branches. And then you estimate by sight where you see from the branches that the tips of the trees, the tips of the roots would be. And there you do the auger and then you pour the fertilizer in. Because the, the key is the branches mark where the roots are, the extension of the branches. How do you know that? Have you ever seen a tree that has branches that are bigger and extend further and more wonderful than the roots? Some of you are shaking your head. You're shaking your head, right, brother? Yeah, well, sure you have. They're all laying on their side. When the first storm comes, they don't have the weight. They don't have the depth. They don't have the root system that can support the weight and the width and the breadth and the extension of those branches. Here's the deal. Galatians has been very, very clear to us that we live with a heart that craves big branches, but we possess puny roots, right? So in the political world, when a, when a heart blows over in the political world, we call it symbolism over substance, right? Or spin over substance. When a heart blows over in the religious world, we call it hypocrisy. If we move into the the, cel- uh, the celebrity world of all-star, superstar athletes and uh, superstar singers and Hollywood blockbuster movie actors and actresses, when, when a tree blows over there, I refer to it as they're just bad role models, right? When a, when a heart blows over, when a life blows over in the Galatian world where Paul planted these churches, when that happens... He calls it works of the flesh. He calls it those dangerous and destructive works that arise out of a heart trying to save itself. And those works tumble hearts, right? So welcome to Galatians 5.22. What we're going to do is we're going to look at big roots. We're going to look at gospel roots. We're going to look at roots that support and only can support your life. And if these roots are not there, you won't make it. Storms will blow you over. 
And I need to kind of have a timeout or a pause right here, and that's this, because some of you, when you're starting to hear this about, oh man, gospel character and, and big roots, in verse 22, you're, you're automatically checking out on me right now, because you're saying, well, well, what about me? I'm already blown over. I'm already laying on my side. I mean, is this passage only for uh, the super saints? You know, God's A-team? Or those who are aspiring to be or in training to be? What about me? This is what I want to say to you. I want to say to you, those of you that are blown over right now and laying on your side, I want to say you've been given a compassionate gift from God. You have the gift of pain. And you have the gift of being given some sense of self-awareness. Right now, you who are blown over, you have some sense, some awareness that you are not in control of your life. You also have some sense that you are more broken and messed up in yourself than you ever thought before. You have more awareness that you cannot plant your own roots and you cannot strengthen your own heart and change your own life. And so those of you that are on your side, you are, uh, you feel desperate, you crave deliverance, and you're ready to listen. And so I want to say to you, don't waste your pain. Don't waste the pain that you have right now in self-indulgence. Don't move into a, a self-hatred or blaming other people. Don't waste it in self-pity. Actually use your pain. Let your pain push you towards God in a deeper and in a real way. All right, let's stand for the hearing of God's word. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. All right, but I say walk by the Spirit. Well, actually, we got 5.1. We're going to look at 5.1. Let's do that. Uh, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Again, this is our prologue into the last two chapters. So now here, we're looking through this lens to see things right. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the Spirit are against the the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
Oh Lord, we ask for your filling. We ask for your anointing. We ask that you would give us uh, more of the fruit and the wonders that Christ has already purchased. Would you make real a great salvation to us? And in doing so, may we have greater measure of you. So Lord, give, give word, give power, give ears, give eyes. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw somebody though coming in. Is everything okay? Anybody know what's going on? Rebecca? Okay. All right, we're going to pray for her right now. Let's pray for her right now. Lord, we pray for Rebecca. I, I do know what her situation is. Um, Lord, please help her. And uh, please uh, spare her. And grant that the doctors would uh, quickly act and uh, quickly move in the direction that needs to be done and that uh, they've been planning on doing. Um, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Okay. Uh, yeah, Rebecca has a heart situation that just started developing. In fact, we were just talking about it right before the service, so that obviously um, happened. All right. Last week, we had to put the pieces of a puzzle together. We had to look at the puzzle of how to walk by the Spirit, didn't we? Because this is an unmanageable mess. Today, there's so much spiritual chaos surrounding what walk by the Spirit means. So we know that this is one of two commands in all the Scripture that talk about somehow you and me closely connecting to the Holy Spirit. Somehow on our part, we're supposed to walk by the Spirit. We're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit according to Ephesians 5.18, right? This passage has so much spiritual chaos that we had to break down the pieces just to find the puzzle to be able to put it back together again to get the point of the passage. So the point of this whole passage is that phrase, walk by the Spirit. So here's what we came up with. Those of you who are joining us, you've got to get the pieces. If I leave you behind and jump into verse 22, which we're doing right now, you, you might be lost. So the pieces are this. The first piece of the puzzle to walk by the Spirit is walking, not running, not taking a chariot or grabbing a camel in the ancient Near Eastern world. In other words, walking, the slowest and most unspectacular way of going places is a piece of what it means to walk by the Spirit. Paul chose walking instead of running. Walking instead of galloping on a camel. Walking instead of riding victoriously on a chariot. Okay. The other piece is this. Uh, a nasty conflict's going on. Our confession talked about that, our assurance, right? There is a nasty conflict that is a part of the normal path of whatever it means to walk by the Spirit. So the picture is, when you walk in the Spirit, you're not on a stroll in Disney World, where everybody smiles at you, you can eat off the trash cans, everything's nice, right? No, the, the picture of walking by the Spirit, the normal picture of walking by the Spirit is storming the beaches of Normandy. It's bullets and blood. All right, piece number two. Piece number three is we had to figure out what's the the DNA of that nasty conflict. And what we came to find out is that we have this mega desires of the flesh producing bad works. The mega desires of the flesh 
are these epi desires, these mega desires that seek to be our Lord and Savior. They seek to give us salvation. And when we, we have these pursuits or these strategies of self-salvation in us, these mega desires of the flesh, trying to seek to be your own Lord and Savior, when that happens, they produce works. And so the list of the works was mapped out for us in 19 through 21. Bad works, right? So there's this cataclysmic collision of lords and saviors going on. The mega desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit in this cataclysmic collision of cosmic proportions. Right? Now, the last piece is what's the ministry or the role of the Holy Spirit? Uh, is the ministry or the role of the Holy Spirit a supernatural one? Is the role in the ministry of the Holy Spirit signs and wonders? Is it a, is it a breaking in of, of supernatural and extraordinary eruptions of heavenly realities that heaven unleashes itself in this world's realm? Is the ministry, the role of the Holy Spirit miracles and signs and wonders and the answer is yes as a presbyterian yes the greatest miracle the greatest sign and the greatest wonder in a world filled with mega desires seeking to take the place of Jesus as Lord and Savior, the greatest miracle in a world like that and the territory of a soul like that and marriages like that and families like that and churches like that and communities like that and institutions like that, the greatest miracle is that someone trusts Jesus at all. The greatest miracle of the Holy Spirit is that we actually hear and believe. In Galatians, Paul tells us that the supplies and the miracle of the Spirit is hearing with faith. So staying with Jesus, building our lives around a grace salvation, hearing with faith, is the role in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So... When you put all these pieces of the puzzle together, you get what walk by the Spirit means, and you get the point of the passage. And when you do, you begin to see the texture of it, and you begin to see the power of it, and we begin to see how the implications of it are mighty and huge in our life. So here it is. Believe better, not behave better, to walk better by the Spirit. That's the point. So the way in which you are filled with the Holy Spirit is by feeding on the finished work of Christ. The way in which we actually walk by the Spirit, have continual supplies of the Holy Spirit, is by resting, relying, and rejoicing in a Jesus salvation. That's how it happens. So Jesus himself tells us in John that, look, the role in the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to, to glorify me, to bear witness to me. So the Holy Spirit takes the spotlight and shines it on Jesus, and a Jesus works. The Holy Spirit does not turn it on himself. He refuses to do that. He's all about glorifying Jesus. As Michael Horton joked about, sort of, uh, he said a lot of us think that a lot of us think that Jesus founded a church 
And the Holy Spirit founded a movement, and the two have been in competition ever since. The Holy Spirit gives us Jesus and all the treasures of a Jesus salvation by the unspectacular way of hearing with faith. All right. That's last week. I just gave you a 40 minute sermon in what? Five minutes. Some of you are saying, you could do that every Sunday, Jeff. Now, here's what we're going to do for the two weeks. We're going to spend two extra weeks in this passage. What we're going to do is we're going to ask you to be an NFL football coach. Pretend. Pretend. The only one that can qualify for that is Ray Biles. He's the only one that can do that. But we're going to pretend. And we're going to pretend that this is a very significant game. And we're going to pretend that the referee just made a bad call. And it's in a major part in the game that's crucial to the outcome of the game. And so we're the, rep, we're the coach and we reach into our pocket and we pull out that what? That red flag. That's right. And we let it fly. Either, you know, hopefully an R, probably not at a direct line at the ref. But we get it to the ref. He sees it. The ref sees it, picks up the flag. Everything stops. Play stops. Game stops. Players stop. Camera stops. We stop while we're watching it back at home. Except for some of you, you'll go get some Doritos. But it stops. Everything stops, right? So what's going to happen? We want to... We want to see the play for ourselves. We want an instant replay. We want that play slowed down so we can see what's going on and so those that make the decisions can see what's going on. We want to check the call. What we're going to do for two weeks is we're going to slow things down a little bit and we're going to see what what does it really look like to believe better, not behave better, to walk better by the Spirit. So we're going to start with verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This much we know right now. Whatever that means. That passage becomes a reality by believing better, not behaving better. Whatever it means. Right? That much we know. So in slowing things down, to look at the slow motion point of verse 22... We could say, believing better bears better fruit. Believing better bears gospel character. Now, we got to see it for ourselves, right? You're throwing the flag. I hear you. I'm going into the booth. Here's what we're going to do. After my initial workout in a text... I have an initial workout in the text, usually on Tuesdays, for whatever I'm going to preach on for the following week or whatever I'm going to teach on. Uh, Usually half the time is spent at my house, uh, and then the other half is spent at Starbucks, where I see many of you at Starbucks, drinking coffee with other people. Um, But we go. I do the workout in the text. So I got the text. I get it done. Uh, Then the next thing I do is after I've done my own workout, I check out everybody else's workout. I like to see their little regime in the text. So I load up on commentaries. I load up on other scholars. I load up on journals. I load up on whatever people have treated the text as much as I can do in the amount of time that I allot to study the text for this Sunday. What absolutely was fascinating about this particular text is how scholars varied in their approach to this verse. Some scholars, some commentaries, they wrote like, Pages and pages, exhaustive explanations of what each piece of the fruit of the Spirit meant. Some were pages like love, a page. I mean, with all kinds of 
extra extra biblical resources and word studies and and uh, pushing it in directions whether is it is it is this vertical is this horizontal in other words is is it love having to deal with connecting with God or is it love dealing strictly with horizontal relationships and on and on and on to every one of those things and then there was there were some commentaries that did nothing on this passage. And in fact, the one that intrigued me the most is is a guy that I I personally know and I highly respect. And he's a a theologian and he's a pastor in our denomination. His name is David McWilliams. And he didn't write a thing about the different fruit of the Spirit. But when he looked at the list of the works of the flesh, man, he was all over each one of those lists, those items. But when he got to the Spirit, silence! Silence! And you got to ask yourself, and that's what I was doing. This is fascinating. Why is he doing this? And this is what he said in his own words. It's not through a detailed analysis of the fruit of the Spirit, a constant introspective psychological analysis of ourselves that we grow in the fruit of the Spirit. It is by walking in the Spirit in that, in that the Spirit produces His fruit. So the tendency of many Christians today is to focus inappropriately upon themselves rather than upon Christ and this is a genuine hindrance to growth in the Christian life. So, what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's see what happens, shall we? Verse 22. When you look at the fingerprints, let's get, we're going to get to the fingerprints, the DNA of this gospel character found in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. What we got to see that it's not nine separate virtues to enhance you. To make a better you. It's not nine spiritual marks to see how well you're doing in your spiritual maturity or to measure yourself with other people in their spiritual maturity, in their spiritual leadership. It's not that. The fingerprints of the DNA of the gospel character found in verse 22 is fruit singular of the Spirit, not fruits plural of the Spirit. In other words, gospel character comes to a Christian in one package, not in individual pieces. Do you know what I mean by that? When the Spirit shows up, whenever a Christian becomes a Christian and the Spirit shows up in the person's life, he brings a complete package of gospel character, all the fruit, singular, of the Spirit at once. There's not an installment program. And why is that? Because this is his fruit. It's his stuff. It's his graces. It goes wherever he goes. So part of him doesn't go. All of him goes when he goes. So every single Christian, theologically, let me tell you what it is theologically. Theologically, this is what's called the unity of the Spirit. Every single Christian possesses love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right now, all of it at once. So no Christian gets love and kindness and is waiting for patience and gentleness. No Christian gets joy and peace and is waiting for faithfulness and self-control. If you are a Christian, you got it. And in fact, Keller puts it this way, if the fruit of the Spirit is 
if the fruit of the Spirit are not all there, at least in some measure, they are not really there at all. So those of you that are praying for more patience, you're praying for more patience with your kids, with your husband, with your church friends, with your severe situations and circumstances that you're facing. Those of you that are praying for more patience, you're going to get more love, joy, peace, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control too at the same time. They all are interdependent. None of them fly solo. They're all together in one package. All right. Now, believing better, bearing this kind of gospel character raises two very, very important questions at this point. Now, we're just zooming in on verse 22. We're taking a slow motion look at what does it mean to believe better, not behave better, to walk better by the Spirit. So we're now focusing on this gospel character package, and we're looking in and zooming in on this, and this begins to raise some questions. And the one is that it's all everyone's thinking right now, if the, if the installment is a complete installment, if I get the whole package... How do I account for strengths in some areas and weaknesses in others if I'm a Christian? How do I account for the fact that I seem to be stronger in some of these fruit and weaker in others? How do you account for the differences if the package goes together and there's not an installment program? Uh, Kelly gives a great example of this. He says, some people are sweet inaccessible and what they do is they demonstrate gentleness right they're sweet they're accessible they're kind uh, they're unassuming they're deferring uh, they don't push their way they don't have to be heard they don't have to be right right and he says they de- they demonstrate gentleness but if they demonstrate this kind of gentleness but are not not demonstrating boldness and courage then they're not demonstrating faithfulness in other words in those in those moments though if they if they're not uh, communicating what if they're not defending somebody else in a situation that someone's talking about them they're not demonstrating faithfulness. If they're not speaking the truth in a situation because it could stir things up. If there's a conflict and they don't walk into it and try to help and see what's going on. If their marriage is in a conflict and they back out and they, they don't talk about it and they won't reconcile. They appear gentle. They lack faithfulness. This is what he says. That is not then real spirit produced gentleness. But a but just a sanguine temperament. In other words, Dr. Hannah used to talk to us this way. We were taking a class on, on Jonathan Edwards and we were studying religious affections and we were just studying some of the other works. He is wanting us to, his goal was to get us to start seeing what's really a genuine, genuine work of God's grace in someone's life. How can you see what's genuine religious affections versus counterfeit or imitation affections? And he would say this to us over and over and over again. He'd say, do not confuse spirituality with personality. Or do not confuse personality with spirituality. Don't do it in yourself. Don't do it in your families. Don't do it as you train and disciple people. Don't do it as you discern leaders. What, what he's saying here 
And what Keller is saying here is that our natural hardwiring personalities can imitate the fruit of the Spirit. And that's not bad. It's just not the fruit of the Spirit. Right? So a type A personality can imitate faithfulness and self-control. And a laid-back personality can imitate gentleness and patience and peace. And an extroverted, sensitive, uh, kind, outgoing personality can demonstrate kindness and gentleness and love. But do not confuse personality with spirituality, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the other question that this raises when we start thinking about, uh, well, there's one other way we can tackle this. Let's, let's do that. How do we account for strengths and weaknesses in the fruit of the Spirit? One is we've got hardwired personality traits by nature and by nurture. They're there. And they can imitate the fruit of the Spirit. That's not bad. It's not bad. But just don't confuse the two as you begin to look at your life and the lives of other people. But don't look at your life and the lives of other people like that anyway. Right? All right. We also need to see that our mega desires can imitate the fruit of the Spirit. What? It goes like this. Let's say we can demonstrate what appears to be the joy of the Spirit in our life. We're joyful people. We're happy people. We, we're people that people like to be around. Right? Nobody likes to be around an unjoyful person. Who likes to be around those kind of people? Who likes to be around complainers? Who likes to be around critics? We want to be around contagious, joyful people, right? Now, when difficult circumstances hit, though, our joy starts eroding. And bitterness fills into the empty place. What's happening? What's happening is this, is that we're beginning to find out that our joy really at its base is our personal comfort. Specifically comfortable circumstances that when our world goes the way we want it to, we're joyful. But when adverse situations and circumstances come in, it began to expose the base of our joy. Our joy was not grounded and arising out of joy in the Lord and His beauty and His wonder and the depths of His grace salvation. It was coming out of our personal comfort with our specific circumstances. Right? So both personality and our mega desires can imitate the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and can mask to us and how we look at others real spiritual growth and maturity. All right? All right, the other question is this. Believing better bears gospel character. This question is arise. Does receiving all the fruit of the Spirit in one package and not in individual pieces mean that we do not or cannot or don't look to grow in the fruit of the Spirit? I mean, I got it all in one package. Is this all I get? <laughs> you got yours, I got mine. Hey, I'm a four, you're a two. Tough break, pal. I mean, is 
Now, I mean, look at the text. Of course not. That's not what it means. The command, the exhortation is walk by the Spirit. The command is be filled in Ephesians by the Spirit, right? We're exhorted to grow in this. The question, the issue is how do you grow? Not that we're commanded or exhorted to grow. How do we grow? The answer is we do not grow in a process of individual installments or individual pieces by willpower or behaving better. That's, that's not going to do it. It's not your fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The way we grow, the process of growth, is actually believing better, bigger, brighter, deeper in the gospel. Now, when we believe better, we grow in the whole package of the fruit of the Spirit together. When we believe better, our strengths and personality get a new base and a new power for them. Not just natural, but now that arises out of a grace salvation and you get fruit of the Spirit. And then our mega desires, when we believe better, look at verse 16. Verse 16 starts off the whole passage. It says, listen, when you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify to the mega desires of the flesh. How does that take place? Well, when we begin to believe better, the mega desire root, joy in, peace in, love in, whatever we try to save ourselves with, whatever our substitute Savior is, when that begins to happen, when we believe better, the root of our mega desires get choked and unearthed. And Paul would say, kill it. And in this passage he says, you won't gratify it. It won't rule you. When the gospel is worked down to the very root system of your heart's deepest trust and deepest hope and deepest Lord and deepest salvation, your mega desires will die. That's how change comes about. And then you bear fruit. Now, what's interesting is we're going to end this way. I want you to look at the last phrase in verse 22. But, or it goes and says against such things, the fruit of the Spirit, against such things there is no law. Human effort cannot produce, cannot grow the fruit of the Spirit. We've already looked at that. Now what Paul has been doing, he's been building his case against salvation from chapter 1, verse 1, hasn't he? I mean, he's been building this case for a long time. And what we've seen in this passage is that the, the mega desires of the flesh, if I was to put a Calvin-esque phrase to it, are... A self, we have in the human heart a self-salvation factory that is constantly producing an assembly line of strategies to try to save ourselves. And those strategies are called works of the flesh. 
Now watch how Paul goes to great pains to not use the same kind of term when he describes what the Holy Spirit does. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit. Paul again is laying out that real Christianity is a whole other way and path of salvation. And it has nothing to do with works salvation or self-salvation. It's a grace salvation. And so Jesus, Jesus walked perfectly by the Spirit. Jesus embodied every single piece of the gospel character that's mentioned there perfectly he loved perfectly you know what that meant for him that meant for him that he happily left heaven to meet the deepest needs of others you know what that meant for him to love perfectly to meet the deepest needs of others it meant suffering great loss to himself It meant that he got wrecked in his relationship with God so others could get a right relationship with God. So that's just one fruit. Let's take another one. Let's take joy. He was perfectly filled with joy all the time. Jesus delighted, rejoiced in, was thrilled, ecstatic, overcome, overflowed with the the beauty of God, with the love of His Father, with the wonder of who He is, with the splendor of His works. And that joy was always before Him and enabled Him to patiently faithfully endure the shame of the cross. So Jesus walked by the Spirit perfectly in the place of those who don't. So that those who don't walk by the Spirit can receive by grace alone His love, His joy, His peace, His patience, His kindness, his goodness, his gentleness, his faithfulness, his self-control. So brothers and sisters, it's a slow motion look at a passage we've been our second week in. We've zoomed in on gospel character. And what we're seeing in gospel character is, if you want it, and all Christians are commanded to want it, if you want it, You believe better to bear better character. Amen.